My name is Rob Patterson, and even though I'm sad that John got hurt, I love that I get an excuse to be here with you all. Uh, I, I've been praying for John. I'm such a fan of John and Vicki and Cindy, and I love that I get to come and just spend some time with you all. I am the dean of the NorCal Deanery of the Diocese for Churches for the Sake of Others within the Anglican Church in North America. It's kind of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of layers of things there. But basically, that just means that I get to be like a network leader in Northern California for all of our churches. And I am a church planter also, so I totally get the whole, like, we're starting a church together. We're, like, becoming a congregation, and we're learning about one another and, and who we are and how do we become, like, a people who were just not very long ago not a people. And now we're becoming a congregation. It's like happening among you right now, this becoming. And I've gotten to be a part of two church plants, and I love getting to come together and to start learning what is it to be a congregation for the sake of others in our midst. It's a wonderful thing. I live in Santa Cruz, just down the road a little bit. Actually, I live in Watsonville. Our church is in Santa Cruz. Redeemer Anglican Church is in Santa Cruz. And... I think it's just one of the greatest privileges to be able to be part of God's family. I think especially these days, don't you just think, when you look at the news, or when you look at, gosh, social media and stuff, and the world is like exceptionally antagonized right now, don't you just love to go, okay, there is a place, there is a body, where unity is not based on partisanship, and unity is not based on whether or not you wear a mask or get a vaccine or... That's not what the, the, All these things might be worthwhile and they're important, but they're not the center for unity among God's people. Instead, there's a place where our unity is actually around the person of Jesus Christ. And we can come together and be different people with like various views in a variety of ways. And the rest of the world can look at us and be like, especially in such an antagonized world, how is it possible that all of you guys get together every week and, and it's all because of Jesus? And I think that's a wonderful thing. I love getting to come and to know, I've never even met you guys. And I'm like, here are my brothers and sisters. We get to be together. We get to have the ability to worship together. I'm so happy to be able to do that. I am married to my best friend, Julia. We've been married for 20 years. We have four children. My oldest is a daughter named Lyric. She's 16 years old. My next daughter is named Story. And then I have two sons, Ransom, who's eight, and Archer, who's six. And if that proves anything, it maybe just proves that we're hippies, and I actually am from Santa Cruz. <laughs> I, we just love names, and we have like great stories for each of them. I love that their names actually like mean something very special. <clears throat> but that's who I am, and I, I love getting to, to share with you. I wish they could all be here, because they're super fun people. You love them. They're great. But a few weeks ago, I, I, I was just sleeping and just waking up in the morning, and I woke up to my son, my eight-year-old son, Ransom, at the foot of my bed. It's a slightly alarming, I guess. I'm like, why is he awake and why is he right there? But I woke up and I kind of just opened my eyes and through the sleep, 
in my eyes. I see him standing there, and I sit up, I smile, and I'm like, oh, it's you, you know? And this is what I hear my son say. He looks at me and goes, oh, hi! Like, out of nowhere, oh, hi! This big, bright smile and big, happy eyes. And I heard this, he's so happy to see me. I was like, wow, really, for me? This was like such a wonderful way to wake up in the morning, to like be, I'm welcomed into my day by this bright face looking at me. I loved it. That moment shaped the rest of my day. I think just throughout the day as I was going about doing my thing, I would think about those bright eyes, I'd think about this big, and this very sweet voice of my eight-year-old. Oh, hi. I love it, such generosity of spirit. And when I would think about this, I would find myself like just smiling back. I would find myself smiling back even to other people who had nothing to do with what he did. I was just a little bit happier that day. I had like this new spontaneity within me of like a generosity of spirit that would just like jump out and it was all my own because I had been invested in by my little eight-year-old boy. Ransom made me know and feel that I am loved, and as a result, I lived lovingly. Deacon Cindy just read for us Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. And I know we read this just a few weeks ago. You're like, didn't we just do Yes, but isn't it great to know that you can never really get to the depths of all that is in any given passage of Scripture. So we get to read it again, and we just heard this just very short account of just two verses of Jesus' baptism. And as I read that account, I cannot help but hear my son's voice in the words of God the Father. Jesus is plunged into the water. As he bursts up through the surface, the heavens open, right? The clouds part, sun is shining on it, uh, down warm on him, and the Holy Spirit kind of dressed as a dove, maybe like lands on his shoulder. He comes in and lands on him somewhere. And a voice comes from the very sky. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. It's as if Jesus awakes from a long sleep only to discover as he opens his eyes, his father is standing over him. And he says, oh, hi. Big smile, bright eyes, so happy to see Jesus. It may seem odd that for me, my eight-year-old son is the face of God the Father. But I think it's also kind of fitting, don't you think so? I, I think God rejoices so much fully than an adult who's kind of forgotten wonder or who's forgotten, who's maybe grown numb to life, you know? Especially during a time like ours during a pandemic, if you experience what it's like to just try to be numb, it's like, I, this is so much and we kind of train ourselves to be a little bit numb. And I think God the Father, he's so alive. He's not numb at all. He's so much more more fully able to rejoice and enjoy life. G.K. Chesterton actually wrote, he says, we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Our father is younger than we are. Is it too much to imagine God rejoicing like an eight-year-old at the sight of his beloved? I don't think so. 
on that way. God would totally rejoice like an eight-year-old. Jesus breaks through the surface of the water and he enters his life. Welcome. His father's, oh, hi, it's you. I'm so glad that you are here. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt in that moment? The sky is opening up. The sun's warmth on his skin, the dove on his shoulder, the father's childlike welcome assuring him of his identity as beloved, assuring him that his very presence effects pleasure in those around him. With you, I'm well pleased. Can you imagine how he felt in that moment? I imagine Jesus feeling full, just so full, and at the same time, as if like all the space around him just opens up broad. Like he's just full, and yet there's just all kinds of space. I imagine Jesus never forgetting that moment. Could you, can you imagine that? I could imagine him maybe even returning to it, like reliving the memory, especially as times got tough for his life. And they did, didn't they? Like, really tough times. I imagine Jesus going, okay, I am loved. And my Father is so pleased with me. Would it surprise you if I told you that this is precisely the kind of security and joy that God the Father offers each of you? Just like that exact same kind of joy and security that Jesus finds in the Father is for you. There's a bishop in the early 300s, like the original 300s, way back, a guy named Hilary of Poitiers, and he wrote about Jesus' baptism, and this is what he said. Everything that happened to Christ lets us know that after the washing of water, the Holy Spirit descends upon us from the heights of heaven, and that we become children of God, having been adopted by the voice of the Father. In our baptism, we become God's adopted children. Jesus, brothers and sisters, and our Father's words to Jesus extend to us. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism shows the depth of love that God shares, not only with his only begotten son, but with all of his children, with you and with me. Can you imagine God waiting for you to wake up? Oh, hi. With a big smile when you wake up in the morning. Bright eyes, so happy to see you, so happy to welcome you to your life, to your day. Listen to some of the ways this scripture describes how God feels about you. Numbers 6.25 says that God makes his face shine on you. He looks you right in the eye and he smiles. God's face shines when he sees you. Zephaniah 3.17 says, God exalts over you with singing. That would almost be a little bit weird, wouldn't it? He's so elated about you. He's so, so excited and happy about you. He like bursts into song. 
You have your own like hype man with God. He's just going to sing over you. Ephesians 2.10 says that you are his workmanship. The Greek word for workmanship is poema. You are his poem, his artistic masterpiece. That's how God feels about you. When God sees you, his joyful declaration is that you are loved and that your presence gives him deep, deep pleasure. That's what God thinks of you. I hope you can receive this truth this evening and that you don't just dismiss it as maybe like mere sentimentality. Because what I'm trying to communicate tonight is not just an exercise in like positive thinking or self-help or something like this. Knowing and feeling God's love for us is actually the starting point for life with Christ. It's actually like ground zero for Christian discipleship. Did you know that? Later in Luke, in this gospel that we're going through this year, Jesus says that the nature of discipleship is to become like the teacher, right? Well, the foundation for everything Jesus said and did in his life was this secure identity in the love of his father. In John 15, 9, he actually says as much. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. It starts with the love of father, and then Jesus loves out of that place. It's out of having received God's love, the father's love, that Jesus then loves others. So if you and I want to be apprentices of Jesus, we too have got to start with receiving God the Father's love for us. Then we're freed up to be able to live life as a loved person, just like Jesus did. Being and feeling loved by God is precisely what enables us to live a life characterized by love for God and for others. That's how it works. In fact, that's why John, 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God first loved us. That's how it works. God loves us, and then we're able to love him back and to love others. So let's just look at it the other way around. Maybe that would help. If I feel unloved, I feel like I'm just kind of like a worthless throwaway person, then I will live in ways that don't demonstrate love. Ways that don't look like Jesus, in fact. For the last few years, I've spent some time with the Enneagram. Have you heard of the Enneagram? Some of you, yeah. So it's a personality tool. If, if you're familiar with it, then maybe this means something to you. I'm an Enneagram 4. I'm an Enneagram 4, and so for those of you who don't know, a 4 is somebody who often feels on the outside of things, but who really wants to get in. Somebody who's like, man, I just, I want to be, I want to be in close with people, but I just, I can't. There's something like wrong. So I so relate with this, especially when I was in high school and college, I related with this. 
Back then, I had a nagging suspicion that there was something like fundamentally flawed with my person that made me unlovable. That made me like just feel even like unworthy of being loved. I just felt on the outside of everything. And I lived with like a deep shame. But here's the thing. That shame that I experienced, it didn't just stay on the inside like a feeling. It actually affected my life. It affected how I lived in the world, my manner of being. As long as I let shame rule over me, I tended to behave harshly towards others. This is like my, this was my pattern. I would behave a little bit harshly to people. There was nothing anyone could say or do that could convince me I was really on the inside. I was really included. No kindness shown, no gentle word could make me believe that I was actually worthy of inclusion and love. And therefore, I would interpret those very kindnesses as ironic. That's, that was my experience. Somebody does something nice for me to go, that's ironic. Like there was more like subtle jabs that reinforced that not only was I really not Included, but everyone there knew it. Was, isn't that just so twisted? And like everybody was just trying to keep me in my place. That's what those kindnesses are all about. They're ironic. Uh, needless to say, this is not a heart posture that is conducive to discipleship to Christ. It's like this is not what, what Jesus does in our lives. But when I let God's words, you are my beloved and I am pleased with you, when I let those words sink to the very center of my heart, I noticed the things started changing for me. When I allowed those words to become personalized and I accepted them as like a practical reality instead of some sort of like abstract theological theory, but when it just became practical for me, I experienced a new freedom, knowing and feeling that I was loved released me from shame. And being released from shame, I'm now able to let go of both my suspicion of others, like, like they're really just trying to keep me on the outside, but also my jealousy of others. Like, those people have got it so good. Life's all figured out for them, and then only not so much like happy, but more like, they've got it all figured out. I'm able to let go of those things now. When I live from the place of my own belovedness, I can allow myself to even feel others' pain. Those very people who I thought were had it all together. And relating to them, I can assure them, you're loved too. From my experience of being loved, I can actually find a generosity of spirit that says, God included me. He includes you too. It's not just me. He includes everybody. I notice Christ-like attitudes and, and behavior like spontaneously just jumping out of me because Jesus' starting point has become my starting point. Oh, hi. A big smile, bright eyes, God so happy to see me, guiding me, shaping my daily walk with Christ. Friends, it is not an exaggeration to say that what God thinks of you and your experience of what God thinks 
of you is the most important thing about you. It will shape the way you live in this world. What God thinks about you is that you are the beloved. You are the beloved of God. You are the recipient of unconditional, never stopping, always faithful love and acceptance. And God is pleased with you. Have you ever thought about that? That God would derive pleasure just because you're you? He's pleased with you. He experiences joy at your presence, at your being. He gives God joy. Regardless of your accomplishments or failures, regardless of abuses that you may have endured or pain that you may have felt, you give God pleasure. He's delighted in you. You're the one God smiles over. You're the one that makes him burst out singing. You're the one, you're the masterpiece that makes him stand back and just in joyful admiration be like, oh, hi, look at this. This is mine. This quiver, how wonderful she is. She's beautiful. He's, a, he's wonderful. I love that boy. You're the one. You are welcome in your life. You're welcome in this world. I want to leave you with a song. This is maybe different. I don't know if, if this is normal for pastors to do this, but I just want to sing a song to you if I can. And as I share this song, I just want to ask that you would maybe take a second and just open yourself to the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit of God, would you please sink the truth of God's love for me? Like if Rob is wrong, fair enough. But, but the Holy Spirit, will you sink the truth of God the Father's love for me? Would you sink it deep into my heart? And then, I just want to ask you, would you just then enjoy it? Like, just take a second to enjoy being with God your Father who delights over you, who loves you. Allow yourself to be safe in the knowledge that you are, in fact, the beloved.
Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.